Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. We appreciate James Ham for being with us. Uh, fresh from shoot around here today is the Sacramento Kings take on uh, the Houston Rockets tonight uh, at the Golden One Center. Uh, any news and notes coming out of shoot around we should be aware of? Yeah, actually, everyone was healthy and and at shoot around, and then we heard after the fact that Kevin Harder is now questionable with a non-COVID related illness. So, uh, okay. not sure if we will have red velvet this evening or not. Uh, but uh, yeah. Interesting. He was at shoot around though. You know, I I thought I looked around and everyone was there. Uh, I did notice that <laughs> Namias Keda and Keon Ellis were not in the building, even though they weren't on the injury report. Um, and the injury report for them usually says G G League assignment. Hmm. Um, but then I got clarification, and they will be at the game tonight, even though I don't think either. Well, one of them might be in uniform if Herder misses. Um, but if not, they have a 15-man roster again after uh, picking up D, uh, P.J. Dozier. Okay. What'd you think of Monday, Ham? Uh, nice little beatdown of the Magic. The one that yeah, I think you tweeted it out, and you're 100% right. You know, we, we need it as fans. The Kings need it. You know, as people who cover the team, we all need it. One where it was like, whew, all right, easy win that we can, you know, relax in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think for the first time in what feels like a couple of weeks, that was a blowout. Like, it wasn't even remotely close. And mm-hmm. and if you really look at what happened there, I mean, uh, Orlando played really well the game before and the really w- really well the game after. So kind of makes you feel like it, it's, it might be a better win than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a team with, like, incredible length and athleticism. And I thought the Kings took them out of their game really early. And, you know, the Kings have an opportunity here against Houston for two games against – a team that's lost seven straight and only has four road wins on the year and only has 10 wins overall. Uh, this is a moment where you can't let off the gas. And I'd like to see them build some momentum, but also show that they can just drop the hammer on somebody and end it like they did with Orlando. Mm-hmm. Against bad teams, that's what you should do. And uh, you know, you, you're you going to have to figure out a way to build that momentum so you can do that against good teams. Mm-hmm. And for me, this team plays really well against bad teams. They don't always win. Like we've had some slip ups here, but even the bad teams that they're they're not really that bad. I mean, is is Washington really that bad? Is Charlotte really that bad? Full at full strength. I think Charlotte. I mean, uh, was it Was- Washington went on a win streak? Yeah, after. they won like four or five in a row. Well, including that game. Yeah. Right? yeah, and Charlotte. If you take away the injuries, that's not a bad team. And they got healthy three games before the Kings. That was kind of like the third game when you start to really figure out the flow and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the Kings have lost to a couple of teams that they you would hope that they wouldn't. But I mean, the Lakers with LeBron James still. I mean, that's not a horrible team. It's just a team that's not winning. Mm-hmm. It's not a well constructed team, but it's not a horrible team. That the Atlanta Hawks team was in the Eastern Conference Finals like three years ago, two years ago. Yeah, their record this year isn't even like bad. Yeah, yeah. They're in I just don't playoffs. like them, so I talk really bad about them. I don't, yeah, I don't, I like, don't like you. I just don't <laughs> like them, Ham. I don't know what it is. I just do not like the Atlanta Hawks. Um, yeah. But all of those reasons are why I told uh, I told Kenny in the, the chatty house I was I was worried about this week and like my true enjoyment of the next three games because you've got Houston twice, and then let's be real, it's on the road, but you're playing San Antonio after that. And it's like, man, I'm going into this like, yo, the Kings should, by that point, by the time we get to uh, MLK Day, should have four straight wins. Mm. Headed into that Wednesday rematch, final uh, game of the season against the Los Angeles Lakers, and then back here for the Thunder, I think it's on Friday. Yeah, how big is that game against the Lakers? I mean, if you can somehow string together these two wins here and then go to San Antonio and get that win, that'll put you four straight. But that Lakers game... If you can put them away right there, uh, mm-hmm. not only would that drop them in the standings and all of a sudden you're talking about being the, the fourth seed or the third seed in the Western Conference, 
but it also gives you the tiebreaker against the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And that could come in huge later on down the road. I mean, yeah. you, you never know with that team, especially if they they make some sort of strange trade that, that makes them better or if AD comes back and somehow plays the last 40 games of the season. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. I'm sorry. Damn. That, that wasn't nice. That's You're what right. duct tape's for. That's a yeah. bad host. Bad host. I hope he makes it. He's a good ball player. I do, too. I yeah. do, too. But, I mean, that's a great point, man. I mean, I, and Damien, you brought it up, too. I mean, you could be, if you handle business, you could be setting yourself up for a nice little run. And we talk about numerous different times, somebody in this Western Conference creating a little bit of separation. You have an opportunity to do that. We we talked about it a couple of different times, James having a cushion for when the schedule kind of balances back out. You've got the opportunity to get that cushion. So far they haven't really taken advantage of it, but you got a, you got another opportunity coming up in the next four, five, six games to do that. We'll see what they're able to do. Yeah, it was a nine-game stretch that I was looking at where I thought they needed to go like seven and two, maybe worst case six and three, and then they dropped two of the first games. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay. Are we really going to think that this team can just rattle off seven wins in a row? I mean, is it possible? Sure. You know, they've got they've got a couple more games here that they could easily put away. Um, but, you know, you don't want to get too high, too low on this team. They they prove you wrong every single step of the way. And, uh, yeah, you got to kind of pace with them. Like, all right, where are we going this week? What do you think about Keegan's response uh, in that Orlando game? Because much was talked about, uh, e- e- even us that night. Uh, over our old fashions and waters over at Sauced. <laughs> we were talking about Mike Brown calling out Keegan Murray for having zero rebounds in that game. And uh, what'd you think of his response on Monday? I think I think someone needs to make sure he understands what he was being lit up for. Because what I saw was not a good response. And I, like he ended up scoring and he looked good. He hit a bunch of three pointers. That was great. But it took him until the mid-second quarter to get his first rebound. And and the problem that I have, some people say, oh, well, he's playing on the perimeter, or this is not how he played in college, or blah, blah, blah. Well, I watched the tandem of Chemezi Metu and Trey Lyles come in and crash the boards one, one time after another, after another, after another. So why are they able to do it and he's not? And there were even some balls where, like, like dribblers rolling right to him, and he st- stood there and watched and someone else raced in front of him and grabbed the rebound. I, I just, he needs to have a sense of urgency that he doesn't have right now. And I thought Mike Brown calling him out was a bold move because, again, we haven't seen that from Mike Brown. And to be honest, we haven't seen it from many coaches over the last, you know, decade and a half in Sacramento where players, individual players get called out in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I, I didn't I didn't love the response, I'll be honest. He had three rebounds. That's not what Mike Brown's talking about. We don't need you to get your season average. Your season average is trash. Mm-hmm. We need you to average five or six rebounds a game as a rookie, and we need you in year two or three to average seven, 7.5. And that's neat. That's who you need to be as a player. And and so, yeah, was, was he better defensively? Sure. But overall, I, I don't think the response was there, from, especially like, he went like five and a half quarters without a rebound. Hmm. That's crazy. It's probably worth pointing out, too, that he, you know, we could talk about him being on the perimeter. We could talk, make all of these excuses for why he's not getting rebounds. But what's clear is that Mike expects him to, and that's what matters. Mike's the ones putting, Mike is the one putting him in these positions offensively and still is expecting him to crash the boards or is expecting him uh, to get rebounds. So you don't need to come up with all these different reasons as to why he's not. Mike is expecting him to, and that that's what matters the most. Because if he wasn't, he wouldn't have mentioned that in the postgame the way that he did on Saturday night. I, I totally agree. And, I mean, look, all season long, the Kings have been one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the league. Right now, they're third in the league in defensive rebound percentage at 74%. And, and they're .2 behind the Denver Nuggets for number one, and they're right behind... Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks for number two. Um, they're in a, a very good defensive rebounding team, but I'll flip the switch to the offensive rebounding uh, percentage, and they're all the way down at 24th. And I felt like early in the season, we saw Mike Brown give up on offensive rebounding because his team was getting killed in transition. Mm. And that's not what they wanted. They Initially, they want anyone... 
that's from the the break of the three point break and up, like to go back and get in, on defense. But if they're in the corner to the break, they're supposed to crash the offensive glass, and that just hasn't been part of what this team is doing. And then all of a sudden, I'm watching Trey Lyles and again Shemezi Metu flying in specifically Lyles because he is in the corner stretching the defense. He's standing there at the three-point line and all of a sudden he's flying in and grabbing these rebounds and you're like, wow, look at Trey Lyles go. Trey Lyles got the memo. Whoever was handing out the memo, Trey Lyles looked at the memo, read the memo, said, oh, okay, if I go rebound, I'll get more minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm in. Mm -hmm. You know, so he like, he's the guy who brought extra food to the potluck and he's like, I got it. And the other guys just hadn't got it up to that point. And then we have Chemezi Metu have his breakout game, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah. um, but again, it's about like understanding what Mike Brown wants. He clearly is a communicator. Mm. He is telling these guys what exactly they he wants from them in order for them to stay on the feet on the court. Whether they pick up on it, whether they deliver is up to them. And so far we have spurts where some guys do it and then spurts where a bunch of guys just don't do the job that's being asked of them. Hmm. And I'm I'm like thinking about everything that that you're saying right there, and like you said, it really doesn't matter why anything is happening. It's the fact that that's what Mike Brown expects, and if it's not happening, it's a problem. But I'm like thinking, and it's like, uh, you know, based on on that, and they, I guess they don't necessarily do it too much anymore. But I don't. Do we see Keegan in the corner as much as Trey Lyles? Yeah, I feel like I don't know. I could, you would know better than I. He's would. at the corner, and he's at the you know the. Because a lot of those shots that he makes are usually on the wing, top of the key. The the ones that he's, he's shooting those threes, it's it's not it's above the bend. You know what I mean? So that yeah. makes me think a lot of the times that's where he's at. So he wouldn't even really be. It wouldn't necessarily be his job to go offensive rebound if they had that same plan in, in place. But it, like you said, Damien, it doesn't really matter. It's about doing it or not, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. what Mike Brown expects. And it's not getting done to his liking. Well, I mean, the Kings very specifically, their offense is is super basic just from like where you're supposed to stand. Mm. And when you're running up court to get into your offensive set, two guys run to the corners, two guys run to the bend and about three feet out. And then you have either your point guard or you have your center step into the middle and start orchestrating what's happening. That's their offense. So there's always going to be guys in the corner, mm-hmm. and there's always going to be guys, the herder up top move, and then so they'll kick it to the right, and if that guy has a shot, he can go ahead and shoot it. But if not, he's supposed to take like one or two dribbles towards the corner, and the guy in the corner comes out. He sets a pick on that guy, does a DHO, and then the guy who is at the top goes to the goes to the corner, and that guy that was in the corner comes back out to the top, and they start rotating around. Like, if you watch their offense, it's very, like, rudimentary. And then it has a bunch of, like, really cool sort of options that you can do out of your 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 standard sets. Um, so, yeah, like, Keegan Murray should be in that corner. If he's not in the corner at the beginning of the play set, he finds his way in the corner at, at one point or another. And if the ball gets swung around to the other side and it starts coming around, his job is to go underneath and go all the way to the opposite corner. So, yeah, like the opportunity is there for him to rebound. I, I can't tell you. It's it's purely him not going in and getting physical and going up high for balls. Is this why you want to trade him so bad? <laughs> I don't want to trade him. No. I, don't no, wanna, I, mean, I, I miss her, James. I, yeah, I, I don't want to trade But But you have to understand, like if I'm Mike Brown and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking – Man, I need to make the playoffs this year and and next year and the year after. Like, I need to make sure that this kid is growing and that he's going to be someone that we can rely on for these moments. Mm -hmm. And I think overall you can, Mm -hmm. but you can't go through two, three-week stretches where you're not Mm -hmm. getting enough from him in these specific categories. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, that guy averaged 8.7 rebounds per game in college. I told you guys in the beginning, like his block numbers, which is almost two a game, that wasn't going to translate at all like at the NBA level there's there's not a lot of opportunity for you to go get a bunch of weak side shot blocks if you're six foot eight uh like Paul uh, small forward power forward Mm. Um, but the rebounds he should at least be able to get up to you know five and a half six seven what you really want from him is figure out a way to be Tobias Harris like if you can be better than that that's fine 
But let's start there. Like you figure out how to beat Tobias Harris. Mm-hmm. Figure out how to get six and a half, seven rebounds per game, even if you're playing with Joel Embiid. And then we can kind of build from there. You're listening to D-Lo and KC on KIFM West Sacramento, 98.5 FM, KRXQ, HD2 Sacramento, ESPN 1320, driven by our friends over at Lasher's Elk Grove Dodge, always live on the free Odyssey app. You can download that on your smartphone or tablet. Now you can watch the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook Live, and even at ESPN 1320 uh, on Twitter. Uh, James Ham, creator of the Kings Beat and our 1320 Kings Insider uh, with us here as we get ready for the Sacramento Kings and the Houston Rockets tonight. You mentioned uh, Chemezi Metu a few moments ago. Um, how about that call from from Mike Brown? I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff from your uh, post-game conversation with uh, Chemezi in the locker room with you and, and Sean and Brendan, and there was, some, there was some really, really good stuff there. Uh, but what do you think about the call to go to Chemezi and perhaps more specifically the way he responded? Yeah, I think the Kings probably needed to go to that earlier. Um, the thing that I noticed, it was not number one, he put so much pressure on the rim on both ends of the court. Like he, he's not a great shot blocker, but he does actually have the athleticism to scare people and the length. Um, but on the offensive end, he, he just puts so much pressure on the rim. You have to be defending him at all times because he's so good in the pick and roll and he's so good on, on the lob. And so you've got to really, really pay attention to him, which opens things up for other people. You know, there's a bunch of different ways to space the floor, um, but he can space the floor as a vertical leaper in just a different way. And and so I think that's great. Um, but I also, like, he came off the bench and instantly got into the flow. He didn't wait. He didn't try to, you know, like, look around and have someone try to, like, get him in the action or set him up. He was active. He had energy. He went and rebounded right away. He got a couple of putbacks. Those are the things that are going to get him minutes. And then the other thing, I, I thought, like, the reason why Mike Brown went to him initially, and it was, I, you can remember the moment when they when Mike Brown went to him. They are getting blown out by the Warriors in, uh, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And in the third quarter, he said, all right, go out there. And all of a sudden, they were able to switch one through five. And that doesn't mean that Chemezi is going to be able to defend Steph Curry. But the fact that he can move around on the perimeter and he's not clunky and he's fluid, it, it really does give the Kings another, like, like more flexibility within their defensive sets. And uh, I think what we saw right away, that's exactly what he was doing. He was all over the place and he was vocal and he's pointing direction. He's telling people, I got this guy, I got this. I was like, hey, look at that. Like he is so engaged in the game and I feel for Rashawn because he kind of got his opportunity here and it's probably over for a while if it's not over completely. Mm. I mean, I think that they will continue to shop him all the way through um, the deadline uh, to try to find a spot that he just fits better. And that doesn't mean that Chemezi Metu is going to be the long-term answer. The Kings could go out and get a different center option and this whole thing could switch up again. But for right now, I think Metu not only was Mike Brown like complimentary of him, but in the locker room, um, you know, Chemezi was honest. Mm-hmm. Like he, it was yeah. put to him. He didn't want to talk about what him and Mike Brown had said mm-hmm. to each other back and forth. But when it was brought to him that this is what Mike had said, that maybe he had got too much confidence, maybe you know got a little ahead of himself. Um, he was honest. He said, you know, he's he's right. I probably did. Probably got a little full of himself a little bit, and uh, and I think he was served like a big old plate of humble pie. Mm. And it's weird to have a player who, you know, is fighting to stay in the league need that. But sometimes they do. I mean, these are from the moment they were, you know, eight years old. They've been the best kid on every team they've ever been on. And so it is really hard. You don't want to take the confidence away from somebody. But sometimes you need them to stay focused. And as soon as he started scoring, he stopped letting he started letting all of the other things kind of slide. And as soon as that happened, Mike Brown just used the hook and said, nope, I'm done, and I, went back to Rashawn. I thought um, I thought all parties, both parties, whatever you want to say, um, handled that the way I would love to hand. I would love to see it handled. Um, Mike Brown made it perfectly clear in, in the post game that both Chemezi and Rashawn have been true professionals through this. Yep. A situation that hasn't been easy. They've you know stayed with the team. They've been professionals. 
he had faith that they'd be ready, you know, whenever they're called on. And I liked him saying that. And then they were asked Metsu if, you know, you guys had talked. And he said, yeah, we talked. And then what you guys talk about? I want to keep that between us. Yep. And I think that's perfectly fair. You know, like that's that's a conversation for him and Mike. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and I would love to know what he said. And who I've read, it might have been Sean who asked. We can ask. We can say, hey, do you want to talk about what it Sean was? Sean would be the type that asks. <laughs> I don't think it was, though. Yeah, I don't, it was I actually Brendan. It was Brendan. Okay, yeah. got you. Yeah, uh, Brendan. Who asked, like, you want to talk about it? He's like, no, I don't want to talk about it. I thought everything was fine. And and I love that it happened the way it happened. And um, I'm anxious to see what he's able to do moving forward. Yeah, me too. Like, he is a, a very bright young guy. And, you know, he's on a the last year of his deal um, so, you know, he wants to succeed and, and I think he was asked too about like how difficult it is it to like go to and from the bench like this. He's like, man, this five years I've been in the league doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Like he's not a guy who has solidified his spot in the league or with the Kings or with, you know, like in general, mm-hmm. he still needs to find that. And that, that comes with consistency. It comes with opportunity, taking advantage of the opportunity and also throw this out too, like, I know Metu did enough to to lose his spot in the rotation. Like, I watched it happen. I was watching it happen thinking, oh, he's not going to be out there much longer. But the job that they're asking them to do is so incredibly difficult. It's like, we need three minutes from you. Three minutes in your first stint. You need to go out there so we don't just get clubbed at the end of the first quarter while we let Sabonis take a rest. And they, they go to that lineup where Fox is there, and then they come back out in the second quarter, and it's usually Fox uh, goes to the bench. Sabonis comes back in, and then they bring them both in together, and then they pull them, they pull Sabonis back out again. So it's not just that you're playing 12 minutes, but you're playing 12 minutes over four stretches. Mm. And so each of those three minutes, you got to go out there and produce and not make mistakes and, and be part of what's happening, the positivity that's happening. And that's even when, you know, you can't control whether someone else hits a shot or whether somebody passes it to you, all of these variables. And so um, it's it's really difficult. And then the last thing I'll bring up, too, is the Kings need to show the league that Rashawn Holmes can still play, that he can still go out there and do what he they need him to do. And just by putting him out there, it's kind of what they did with Marvin Bagley last year, where they, they put him out there just for like a five-game stretch to say, look, he's healthy. There's nothing wrong with him. We're just not playing him. He's just not part of our rotation. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that was part of what's happened here too, where they're trying to show the league that like, look, Rashawn Holmes can still play. There, There's nothing physically wrong with him. And he was a good player like two years ago. Um, so we're not just, we're trying to like find a new home maybe for him if we can, but uh, it's not because there's something he's broken in mm-hmm. some way. Uh, another thing that stood out in your guys' postgame, at least it stood out to me, was he was asked if he knew he was going to play tonight. And he said, yeah. And I thought that was interesting because it was, it, it, it was clear that Mike wasn't looking to the bench, r- grasping at straws, trying to figure something out. He went into that game with a plan, knowing, okay, what we've been talking about for days now, what we're doing here with the second unit isn't working. Uh, we've got to, we're, we're going to try someone, something else. We're going to go back to Chimezi Metu. And we, he obviously had some sort of conversation with him about that. And that stood out to me. And I feel like, cause we hypothesized, Hey, should Mike maybe talk to the second unit as a whole, or maybe talk to them individually. I know Terrence only played a couple of minutes. Terrence Davis was running all over the floor in the four minutes that he played. Mm-hmm. And I, I I left with that impression, like, yeah, maybe maybe there was a conversation had with this second unit about what that coaching staff, specifically Mike Brown, expects from all of them. Yeah, I mean, they, they had a big conversation with this group last week, especially the centers. Mm-hmm. They had a huge conversation with them when they, they were worried Sabonis would be out long term. Mm-hmm. Like they, they sat down and had this conversation, like everyone is going to have to step up if this is what's happening. And we don't know, we're going to give it a shot. We're going to put him out there. We're going to see how it, how he handles it and all that stuff. Well, sure enough, like Sabonis isn't even on the injury report anymore, which I'm not sure what that's all about, but I mean, like his hand is magically healed. 
Well, uh, Keegan's we, not on it either, and he's yeah. not on it either. I, yeah, it's it's very strange, well, and we it's talked about this. Yeah, we did. It's it's their decision how they're going to handle it, but um, but at the same time, like I, I think everyone kind of got the memo, and then like Mike Brown has been very clear with these guys. If Namias Keda is playing, he is told during the day and shoot around. You're playing. We need you mentally prepared. We need you to do this, this, and this. This is what your job is tonight. And, like, it's very clear. And I, I think every single one of these guys, like, have, have had long conversations with Mike and with their particular uh, assistant that they work with mm-hmm. about what their role can, will be from one night to the next and what's expected of them. And each of them know. And then they also reassess at a certain point in the season. They bring him back in and say, like, this is, we're still looking for this, this, and this, but why don't we add this or why don't we take away this? Um, so like there's a ton of communication that's happening at all times. And I'll also point out lastly that Mike Brown even said he feels bad for Alex Len because Alex Len is a one guy out, out of this whole group that really hasn't even got an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he's another guy who stayed ready, who, you know, they were able to throw out there, whether you loved it or hated it. The first half that he, he played against, uh, Jokic, he held him to two points. You know, he did his job in that game to get the to hold the nuggets in check early in the game and and let things happen and it just happened that you know no one d- decided to defend Michael Porter Jr. that night. Uh, you know. uh, uh, vibe check, vibe check him. Eh, they still seem to love and listen to Mike Brown, right? Oh yeah, yeah I yeah. just want to check because somebody asked me about that uh, when we were at the game on Saturday. I was like, no, nah, Mike Brown is doing. He's fine with these guys. Like there's, there's a little probably thing. a Laker fan that asked you trying to <laughs> trying to trying to cause up problems. I was like, "What you talking about, man?" Because like, you know I, Kenny associated with a bunch of Laker fans. I, I don't know. know I don't know why that. that would be the case. I, I have no idea why that would be the Went case. Went up to the draft lounge and they were just swarming <laughs> us up there. That was like the unofficial like Laker hangout. <laughs> I think they bought cheap seats and just they 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 bought the cheapest seat they could find and just stood in the draft lounge the whole time. Oh, the draft lounge was crazy, man. We had people, it was crazy. Yeah, people just coming up. I there ain't going just, back. Just saying something. It's like what what did this guy do? Why would you say that to him? <laughs> I ain't going back up there. That was my one and done. Yeah, yeah. but no, I thought so. Mike Brown is you know. No, I think he's the vibe. Doing a great job, I think. Yeah, the vibe with Mike is good. Like I, I talked to De'Aaron this morning at Shootaround, and I asked him specifically because Mike went on this, uh, this really inter- interesting tangent about De'Aaron Fox and about like sort of the the Spider Man thing, you know, with uh, with great whatever ec- power comes great responsibility. Yes, exactly. And, and so he's saying like, look, there's nothing that. I'm putting on De'Aaron Fox's plate that I don't think he can handle. And that means I need you to be a better defensive player. I need you to set your teammates up. I need you to score when it's time to score. I need you to be better. And he's working with them. And and I asked him uh, about that. I asked Fox about that. And, yeah, he feels empowered. But also, like, the guys on this team, your leaders on this team, are very, very coachable. There are guys that it's okay to yell at De'Aaron Fox. It is okay to absolutely rip him rip him to shreds he will take it he will process it and he'll get better and the same thing goes for demonis sabonis like these guys your two big key players here can absolutely take coaching and that's a big deal for mike brown and as long as they are bought into him and the way that the vibe is on this team they will drag everyone else through Hmm. i want to uh bring up another name um and I'll do it with a Will Z stat. We mentioned this earlier, uh, and I teased it and didn't pay it off, so that's on brand with the show here. Uh, Malik Monk and Ch- this is from Will Z. Malik Monk and Chemezi Metu seem to have a strong connection off the bench, and it shows in the numbers. The two of them have played 261 minutes together and have a net rating of 5.9. It's the 14th best net rating out of 62 two-man combos with a minimum of 50 minutes played. Again, uh, that's from our man Will Z, and that came up because we were talking earlier about how uh, Malik and Shemezi seem to have a connection. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Kenny said this on Monday, and it became far more glaring to me on Wednesday that 134 points or whatever, the Kings really missed Malik Monk on, on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, I, I would say this too. I think Malik Monk really missed Chemezi Metu. I think mm. so too. And, we, not to cut you off, we talked yeah. about that last week, where 
aside from the 33-point game, the last really good game Monk had had was that Chicago game where Metsu played too. And that was like the last time Metsu was like in the rotation in a good like, way. Yeah. And it coincided with this slump that we saw from Malik Monk. I, I agree with you, Ham. I, I think he did too. Yeah, I would actually like to see if Will Z can come up with the – the two-man game for Rashawn Holmes and Malik Monk. Get to There's work, nothing Will Z can't do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I think that's the big comparison, like, because that's who Monk is playing with primarily mm. is that, that second big. And uh, there's a big difference. I, I don't – it's almost like Chemezi Metu is just out Rashawn Homing, Rashawn Holmesing, Rashawn Holmes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like, the, what Rashawn Holmes is supposed to do is is basically be a be a, be a pick-and-roll player. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're doing with Shemezi Metu in that second unit. They're using him as in a, in a two-man pick-and-roll game with Malik Monk. And I don't understand why that hasn't worked with, with Holmes. It almost feels, James and Damien, it almost feels like they play a little too fast for Rashawn, which is crazy because he's super athletic. He's fast in his own right. But you even think about the screens. And the the offensive yeah. fouls, like the, he's not able to be there in time. It just feels like they're playing too fast for his brand of basketball. It's the the half second rule. You got to make a decision within a half second. That's what it feels like. It feels like Rich is coming down and kind of getting into position and then looking around, and it's like you just missed your mark by by like a second and a half. You should have already been up top. He's getting offensive fouls strictly because the guards aren't waiting for him to get in position because that's not what they've been doing all game long. Mm-hmm. They're ready to go and ready to get into this rotational offense like super quick. Mm-hmm. And and if you're not part of what's happening, you're kind of in the way. And that's and if the guard leaves too early, you can blame the guard, but Holmes isn't getting in position for them quick enough. Mm-hmm. And it's something that like I noticed really early on in the season but even still, like when they gave him another opportunity, it's like you still aren't fully getting it. And Shemezi Metu, you can say the same thing. He just doesn't set the same screens. Like mm-hmm. you watch Kata set a screen, that dude is gone. Like yeah. that that defender isn't coming back. He's being swallowed up by the Kata monster or by oh Sabonis. Or Sabonis <laughs> is just flexing on the guy. And <laughs> like they, these guys set huge screens Holmes and Chemezi Metu, they're both slipping the screen because they want to go dunk. It's like, man, just set the screen. Just mm-hmm. set the screen and do what's right for your teammates. And it's really hard because all of all NBA players, what they do on the offensive end really does drive their defensive their defensive play. You, you think Rashawn's done? You think we've we we probably won't see Rashawn much moving forward? Well, no, I, I'm not going to say that because, like. You might not be able to find a taker for Rashawn Holmes right now, and you might not be able to find a taker for him this summer, hmm. just because he's owed. You know, I, I, I just, I'm sorry, I, I, I just meant in terms of his place of the rotation. Yeah, I think Chemezi Metu just earned himself five, six, seven, eight games. Depends on. Well, well, uh, but then what? Like, well, are they going to go to Rashawn again? Well, no. Just hi- hypothetically, yes. if it doesn't go. Mm-hmm. Well, by that Ideal. point, you got to look at where you're at in the standings, and okay. you got to look at and see where you're, what you're going to do with Kata, because when, when we start getting into game 55, game 60, your mindset changes. Are are you still a four or five, uh, or are you now an eight, nine, ten? You know, where are you at in the standings, and what does that mean for your your development of young players and stuff like that? I don't think the Kings are going to give in this season, so that's why I would leave the door open for Rich to get another opportunity but also point out it took the last time like Shemezi Metu got 20 games yeah game 20 he only got the first half before he got the hook and didn't get put back in the second half but Mike gave him a full 20 game run not not some little five game spurt or or with Kata which was like a a game and a half (laughs) you got like 12 minutes to prove you belong Mm -hmm. go and it's like, okay. He was five for five in that first game. <laughs> the and second game, the first game, the second one, the yeah. second, yeah, it was the first. But you know, again, it's not about the it's not about the scoring. It's a, you know, even the five for five, he dropped like three or four balls out of bounds on, or lost like three or four rebounds right in the beginning. Yeah, he just wasn't like the speed of the game isn't there, and the Kings don't have time to wait for him to develop. And, and I remember, understand. I remember watching him play those games and I think we discussed that on the show like it was just so odd he got his hands on every ball Mm -hmm. 
he just couldn't grab it. Yeah. Yeah, he fumbled a yeah. lot. Yeah, they were just like they would just like hit his hands and then go somewhere else. It's because his mind is moving too fast. He's not fully focused on catching watching the ball all the way into his hands. And he, mm. he also makes a mistake that a lot of young players do where you watch Sabonis, Sabonis goes up with two hands for almost every single rebound. Like you can't take a ball from Sabonis. Mm-hmm. Kata, you can take a ball from because he's just not going up and ripping it down and holding on to it. Mm-hmm. And it's a young player issue. It's a, it's not Is only it are we talking about. No, it, it, we're not talking about just like adjusting to the speed of the game. The speed, the athleticism, the strength, everything is bigger at the NBA level. Mm-hmm. And so these guys, if you're not 100% locked in, I remember like when Jason Thompson was a young player, every single ball he would bring down to his knees. And like, why are you bringing it down where all the guards are at? Like you're six foot ten, six foot eleven. Keep the ball up high. Get your elbows out so people can't come in and swat the ball. And it took Jason Thompson forever because he played at Ryder, and at you know he's playing against lower level college players who don't have the ability to do the things that NBA players do. And it took him so long to adjust. Not only that, but like his feet were facing the wrong way on his jump shots. Like Jason Thompson had a bunch of issues to work out as a player. And I'd say the same thing about Kata. Like he has a bunch of issues because he played at Utah State. And it's not just, it's not going from Kentucky to the NBA. It's going from a a much smaller school against much smaller competition uh, and trying to make that adjustment on the fly. How long? Real quick, Casey. Sorry. Yeah, Yeah. we've got tickets to see uh, the Sacramento Kings take on Toronto on January 25th. You want to get your hands on those? Caller number three right now, 916-909-1320. We'll get you all set up. Again, the Sacramento Kings uh, take on Canada January 25th uh, here at the Golden One Center. Caller number three, 916-909-1320. I was just going to ask, how long in a situation like Kata's situation, how long would you give him if you were the Kings? Like, is this a a two-year project, three-year project, four-, five-year project? For Kata? Like, yeah. Oh, man. Like, first of all, you're going to have to give him a contract this summer because he's been on a 2A for two years in a row. And you can go up to three years. You can't go three years at one time, but you can give a player up to three years on a 2A. Um, but, man, I— like if you're gonna make this happen, you got to give them a two-year deal. You you have to know that the big men like really come into their own at 25, and that's just that's historically throughout the league. On occasion, there's some, you know, some player that gets it like way earlier. But you know, go back and look at Joel Embiid. He sat out what two and a half years to start his career, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until he got to a certain point where his you know everything starts to click at the NBA level. I would give him, I would give him a two-year deal like on the regular roster mm-hmm. with the hopes that you can develop him, um, but also with the understanding that part of it's non-guaranteed and that if it doesn't work out next year, you know, maybe there comes a point where you start to back off of it and, and you start to look at other options. But I don't know. Like I, I see the potential in him um, and I watch him at the G League level and he dominates. And that's what you want to see. Like yeah. if you put a player in the G League and he's averaging 12 and 8, then that's you're not going to keep going. You're you're not pressing forward. But Kata, you put him at the G League level, and he's averaging almost twenty points and and nine rebounds and three and a half blocks or two blocks a game. You know, like he's impactful and three assists a game. So there there are things that when you see him play, you just have to know that he's not ready for the level of competition, and your team isn't ready to give him enough time to develop right now. And that's one of the harder things for him. Is this just no room for Keon Ellis? Not yet, but like Keon Ellis, in my opinion, is going to be part of this. Like, look at next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Terrence Davis is in the final year of his contract. Um, you know, even like PJ Dozier. What you're getting with PJ Dozier is Keon Ellis, but like the mature version, like the one that's already played NBA games and already played in the playoffs and already understands what it takes. Keon Ellis is learning what it is to be an NBA player. Mm-hmm. And not even that, he's learning what it's like to be a G League player. Uh, but I think Keon Ellis has a ton of potential as like a 3 and D like disruptor guy. And I there will come a, a point somewhere in, in the future where he actually, you know, figures it out. Like if you look at him and Jemias Ramsey, Jemias Ramsey isn't going to make it 
like with the Kings at that age because he came into the league as like a 19-year-old super athlete who still thinks he can be Vince Carter, right? Keon Ellis knows exactly who he is. This is the player they want him to be is the exact same player he was at the college level. They need him to be a role player who knocks down three-point shots and who defends at a crazy high level. And he can be that, and he already has a mentality for it. His transition to the league is going to be much, much easier than a Jemias or, you know, like it's always like the Dante Green thing. Dante Green had so much potential, but never really could figure out that he was never going to get to be like a 20-shot-per-game guy, Mm -hmm. and like he couldn't harness what his talent was. Let's come back. We'll talk more uh, with James Ham, and we'll talk about uh, the Sacramento Kings and the Houston Rockets tonight at the Golden One Center when we return here on Sacramento Sports Leader ESPN 1320. D'Lo and KC. D'Lo and KC continues on ESPN 1320. Now, what did did I do wrong? What did I see wrong? What the hell just happened? It is what it is, little... A little 10th inning. We was just having fun, to, and all of a sudden, you like, your your whole, just everything, sh- the tone got dark. Well, poor Gabe Kapler, he's going to be without a job. <sighs> the team stinks, <laughs> and they're going to blame him first. Just out of nowhere. Literally came out of nowhere. Out of should, nowhere. Be, should be Farhan getting fired first. Yeah. Well, it should be. Something just got, they gonna, like. They're going to blame Gabe. They were blaming Gabe last year. Their roster was garbage. <laughs> who else? Who was he supposed to put in the game? He can't go to Duvall in, in the sixth inning. No, it's not a good strategy. He tried that one time too, and they still lost the game. <laughs> you okay? That's funny. I saw the Kaplan reminded me of the Giants. Carlos what reminded you of Carlos? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Carlos, Carlos Correa back with okay. the Twins for two hundred so, mil. I had so uh, okay. So I was thinking about this yesterday after the show ended. And then then obviously physical pat, all that stuff came up today. That deal was done yesterday. And I think the idea was like, look, you've seen this. You already know what it is. Mm -hmm. You could sit six years, 200. There's no physical. We're not going through this whole circus again. Like you have the, it's a done deal. I think it was a done deal yesterday. Oh yeah. They just, they just, I don't even know that the dude took a physical today. I could imagine that. They yeah. said he passed his physical, but I'm not sure. I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure that I fully. Hey, step up these stairs. You pass. <laughs> step to the right. <laughs> One step to the right. There you go. Good job. Good. Um, yeah. I mean, Giants could have done that. Six years, $200 million. Brandon Belt going to the Blue Jays. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. You know, the, right. the Kings play the Rockets tonight with Kevin Porter, right? Kevin Porter Kevin Jr. Porter Jr. He has um, some really crazy – so he signed this mega deal, right? He got uh, – uh, this year he makes 3.2, but next year 18.2, 18.2, 18.2, 18.2 and 18.2 the next four years. So what is that? 30 uh, – 72 million, right? Yeah, I'm not doing the math. Yeah. Okay. Se- 73 million okay. o- over the course of I four years. I believe you. Um, but – of that money, which I have never seen before, his it's like one million guaranteed, three million guaranteed. Uh, it increases. To oh my six god, he got an NFL contract. <laughs> he did. He got a. How the hell thing. did that happen? So his guarantee increases to one million if he's not waived by July first, two thousand twenty-three. So that mm. entire deal that he has, they could waive him on before July first this coming year. This year. Wow. And not pay him anything for next year, or, or pay him a million. It increases to three million if he's not waived uh, by the first by the regular season game for the twenty three twenty four season, and six million if he's not waived the date that is five days after the twenty twenty three twenty four trade deadline. Um, yeah, so like his deal is n- like one of the rarest. Brody really got an NFL contract. Yeah. He did. Just like. Hey, this is standard, pal. Sign it. Yeah. Standard in the National Wild. Football Kevin, League. Kevin Porter probably uh, needed an NFL contract. He, he, well. <laughs> he, need to prove, he need to prove that he could uh, take care of business first. The yep. Players Association is looking at him like, bro, no, we cannot no, we make don't. this a regular thing. No. We cannot do this. This 
this is a one and done. Don't ever, don't, don't, we can't allow agents to ever do this again. Yeah. No, I think it's totally bizarre. Like, I've never seen anything like that. I, I was totally caught off. I mean, we've seen non guaranteed years before, mm-hmm. but never anything like what you, Not I've never bad. seen anything like yeah. what you just laid yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. They've hedged their bets uh, on that guy. I remember I wanted, uh, and I was, rightfully so, rightfully so, I wanted Miney McNair to take a chance on Kevin Porter Jr. He didn't do it. When he was waived from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for throwing food at his teammates or something. Yeah. Hey, yeah. speaking of Monty <laughs> <Yeah>. McNair. <laughs> nope. Oh. Still doesn't have a contract. Okay. He, Monty going to get one of them Kevin Porter contracts. <laughs> 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 they're gonna sign they're gonna sign money to one of them Kevin Porter deals where they can let him go after a year <laughs> I, I don't it's crazy I again I don't know what to say about Monty McNair but we're okay. going into such a crucial part of the season where it matters the trade deadlines a month away it matters mm. it does it matters and the fact that he could be not have a contract at the end of this season or not have a contract like so what do you, Oh man, this is a bad example. Mm. Wasn't it Mitch Kupchak? I don't remember who who signed. Like someone, I think it was Mitch Kupchak who he just went through the last year of his deal and signed a new one in the off season. Again, it's Mitch Kupchak and it's well, Michael Jordan. It's a terrible example. I almost, I almost like the more I think about this and we see things, I feel like this might happen more than we that's, realize. And that's, that's exactly Jerry have that's this situ- situation. Exactly, that's exactly well, I what I was going to. I, Bob Myers says, "Yeah, contract he don't have right a contract." Right and, now. And, but I think that's by his choice. But but so it, we don't know that it's not by Monty's choice. Well, we don't. Maybe you do. <laughs> but yeah, we don't know that it's. Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I don't know that it's I I think it's it's the post traumatic stress disorder coming in play with being mm-hmm. a Sacramento Kings fan and feeling like something good is happening and it's all falling apart. But and I'm a hundred percent of the belief Monty McNair deserves a contract extension. He needs a contract extension. I I just don't know that it's terribly uncommon in the front office for this to happen. Yeah. Like I mean, we gave James three, is going to cuss at me well, as we soon gave, as we go to commercial. We gave three examples. And like Masai Ujiri, yep. if, if anybody should never go into the last year of their contract without being signed is Masai Ujiri. Now, once again, to your guys' point, I think that was more Masai's thing. He wanted to keep his options open, but I don't really remember how that went down. Well, maybe Mitch Kupchak wanted to keep his you know his, his, his options open too because I'm sure he has a bunch of them. Yeah, I'll just say like the biggest thing like we keep talking about these potential like would would you do this? Would you do that? Would you, like I think everything, every single one of those deals comes with such huge risk reward, right? Mm. So we can look at this team right now and say, okay, are they really a four seed? Sure, in the standings right now they're number four, but. I think, like, being realistic, you could see the Clippers fly up. You could see the Warriors fly up and, and go right above them and push them down to the, the six, seven, eight spot without even really, like, digging into other teams that have that potential as well, like a Minnesota Timberwolves team mm-hmm. that could figure things out like they did last year and all of a sudden start going on a roll. Um, so, like, I bring that up because... Like, Monty should have, like, an unobstructed view of what is going. Like, he should know all of the ins and the outs of what he should and can and might do. But he should also have the leeway to swing for the fences or to make a mistake here that uh, that might cause you a little bit of short-term damage in order to do great long-term things, right? So, like, we, we saw this team crumble when they, they traded Amon Shumpert a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. So Monty has to like keep things like that in the back of his mind, like the the chemistry of this team, everything else. When that means looking at like Harrison Barnes in a totally different light. Harrison Barnes is an expiring contract; he's eighteen point three million bucks, and you might not be able to retain him this summer. And so Monty's looking at he has to look at him in like with different hats on. He, like if you're a real world GM who's like. I, this year is great. We're having a good time, but this is really about building a contender. Then he should be on the table. Like you should be able to make a move. But if you're him and you're like, okay, if I don't make the playoffs this year, it's very likely I'm not going to be back. Then I might not trade Harrison Barnes right now. I might risk like my, one of my better assets, losing one of my better assets for free this off season 
because I don't want the team to go in the tank and miss the playoffs this year. That's not what this should be about. It should be about making the right decisions to put this this team on a path. And mm-hmm. I think Monty has taken those moves, like the Sabonis move, you tanked last season to make that move. Like it, you knew it was going to be a difficult move to rebound from, mm-hmm. to like switch everything up mid-season. You already knew you were in line for new coach anyways, so you kind of just threw all caution to the wind and made the big swap. But can he do that again? Like he doesn't have a contract moving forward, so I I don't know. It changes my thoughts on what you might do with with a guy like Keegan Murray. Like, would you be more like if you knew that your job was online, would you be more or less likely to trade Keegan Murray right now? Mm-hmm. And the answer is you'd be more likely to trade him right now for a piece that would make you a better team today, so you can guarantee you make the playoffs this year. Is that a good move for two years from now or three years from now? It depends on what you're getting back. But most likely it's not. Mm. And so that's why it does matter. It does matter that he doesn't have a contract. And, you know, he's a level-headed guy. I I know him relatively well. I've had plenty of conversations with him. And I don't think he's going to make some ridiculous move just to be spiteful or anything else. But it's still, like, they've put him in this position. And that's not usually what you'd like to do. Hmm. How about this theory? Monty tells them, I'm not negotiating during the season. And Vivek says, Uncle V, hey, that, that's, that's cool. You're our general manager next year. You're our general manager for years to come. Get through this year. Do everything you have to do. You have a full autonomy of this team. We will get everything worked out this offseason. Hmm? Anybody? Bueller? Could happen. Vivek Bueller? is very focused on winning. Very focused. He does not like I his legacy too. being this. Being I, what? Oh, being a losing franchise? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, but I, I also you, think you that, You know like, what? Real quick, Dan, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. As somebody who's, I understand what you're saying. Like, if, if you could get, I, I don't even know the player, but if you can get a team or a player that would cause you to probably miss the playoffs this year, but it would set you up to be in a situation next year, I don't know if right now where this team is, I don't know if I want to take that chance. And if I'm Vivek Ranadive... All that he's had to endure, I'm not. I'm probably not trying to hear that either. But would you give up the potential to be a four, five, six, seven, eight team in order to be a potential, like long-term title contender? I don't think that's available. Well, but what if it was? If you, it was, if it was, you'd well, be a title to, con- to contender this year. No, because like if you could look at this thing and say if they're one gigantic piece away, mm-hmm. and and like I'll I'll just I, because I bring him up all the time, but like if again Lori Markinen does become available, which mm-hmm. maybe he doesn't become available, but if he does, and you think that he's a perfect fit, not just for this season, but like him, Sabonis Fox could make this triumvirate that could take you to like great heights down the road. What was that word you just used? Triumvirate. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Okay, or let's wow. say let's say that Bradley Beal becomes available, and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, man, I like Bradley Beal, or you know, name that like star level player, but it, whether it's a short term deal or whether like, but it could set you up to be something much bigger than you are today. Mm-hmm. Like that's the way the game works. I mean, like you could still hang on this year and potentially make the playoffs and and all that stuff, but we're talking about like taking a cultural step back, a a chemistry step back in order to take a much bigger leap forward. And, and see, and that's I guess where we differ in the in, in the way we see this thing. You go get a Lori or a Bradley Bill, you're not falling out of the playoffs this year. You're a better team now and moving forward. You hope so. But by upsetting the apple cart and by giving up what you're going to have to give up to go get that trade done, you could destroy the chemistry, the delicate balance that you have with this team and take a tremendous step back. Mm. Now, I'm not saying like you're going to fall to the 12th seed or something, but the potential, I mean, what are you, three three losses away from being out of the playoffs at this point? That uh, Like the playoff picture? Like the Kings, that's where they're at. Like. How many teams in the league behind them have 21 wins just like they do? A bunch of them. How many have 20? Most of them have. Yeah, like the, the number like 12 team has like, like 18. Like people, people, I understand what people say when they say that, but that's like. That's a <laughs> like week. The, a the week King, for this the, team. The Kings could lose <laughs> three in a row 
and for them to go to the 12 or 11 or anything like, like everybody would have to win ahead of them. Well, the Kings that lost happened, two in a row and didn't move. Yeah, that hasn't happened all year. <laughs> like they lose three in a row and everybody behind them wins yeah. every game. Like that's they're in a better spot than people give them credit for right now. I know the West is like I just don't know why they're not playing 82 games this they're year. They're just not. Yeah. Why Actually everybody they, has played so They're going to be Every team 70, below them is halfway through the season. They're going to be at 79 then they have to make their three up right before the playoffs to no. see if they get in the playoffs. Yeah, and I'm not saying like Bradley Beal is that person or Laurie Marketing. I'm I'm saying like we're talking hypotheticals here. Mm-hmm. We're like if there is an opportunity to go do something. And I'm not saying like Hey, go get LeBron so you have him for one year and well, LeBron you know, will be or, or whatever you know, and, and you're gonna you're gonna win a ton of games. Like that's that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about realistic things that are out there that could potentially happen down. Who knows type deal, mm-hmm. but uh, like you have to have a GM who has who has a long term and short term view, mm-hmm. and if you don't have a job on July whatever or June whatever then your your view is going to be very much on what's happening today. How do I get from point A to point B? I think there's another, but you're talking about upsetting the apple cart. I think, I think there's a component, you know, and athletes don't want to admit this because these dudes are close, they're friends and all of that stuff. But if a deal gets done and it's, a, a, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stick with Keegan because James is hell bent on trading Keegan Murray. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll stick with Keegan. It's just not the case. But okay, but he would be obviously moving him would be massive, right? Mm-hmm. But if someone comes back and and Domas and De'Aaron are in their little boardroom where they're talking about light the beam and they go, yeah, but you see who we got? <laughs> like it's it if, if if there's a prevailing thought like oh we just got worse, mm-hmm. sure you screw up you screw up chemistry you screw up everything, but it but if you yo you said did we just land Laurie Market that dude dropped forty nine? You see what he did? There's the, okay, oh, man, it sucks. Keegan's gone. Whew. But, but. we're going to be all right. Like, I don't, I don't That's think. That's what we got last year from Fox. It mm-hmm. is. Like, man, I, I love Tyrese. Mm. But we got Sabonis. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what, and it wasn't a disrespectful thing aimed at Tyrese. It was very specific. Like, have you guys seen this guy? Mm-hmm. Have you seen what he can do? Like, they jump on the practice floor, and every single one of them were like, Holy cow! Like I told you guys, the first game, I had got tickets to my son, and he was for my son, and he was sitting down below us in where our media seats are, and he looks up at me in the first quarter and goes, "Oh my gosh, he's so good!" <laughs> and it was like, yeah, like if you don't watch Sabonis every the hug day, heard around the you, world, you don't know <laughs> like, how good he is. Like, and when you step on the floor as a basketball player, and you, you're all of a sudden you're playing with him, you're like. Oh, okay, this is different. This mm-hmm. is totally different. Yeah. Like this season doesn't matter, but this is totally different. Um, yeah, it's an interesting like philosophical discussion on like you know mm-hmm. how do you build, how do you empower, how do you like make sure that your your general manager is on the same page and doing the right things. Like it, it's complicated, and you know, but Monty McNair should be worth a whole lot more if he makes the playoffs than he is today. You can't make a move like that and move laterally. No. You have to move forward, right. yeah, like, and that's like, the stuff like that could kill you. Making a trade or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't you can't make a, a trade with that dynamic of an impact that is looked at as a lateral move. No disrespect, but we're not doing that for Jay Crowder. Well, or a move that right. makes you better exactly. just today, but short term. Like, like I've I've said it a million times, Mason Plumlee, I, I think would be perfect for this roster. I would never even venture a discussion on having a Keegan Murray type player mm-hmm. involved in a Mason Plumley type player. Right. That's I'm not talking about winning that way right now. Those yeah. are moves that we're talking about, like second round picks, expiring contracts and that kind of stuff. We're mm-hmm. we're not talking about going crazy here. Like yeah. if you're trading him, it's because you think you're getting way better mm-hmm. right now. For a long time. For for, you know, like mm-hmm. and that player has got to be in the the age range. You're not taking him and trading him for a Bojan Bogdanovic. Mm-hmm. Who is a really good player, even at age thirty three, and he's under contract for another two years. You're not making that move with a young player like that. Right. You're making a move that makes you better today, makes you better down the road, and which it, you're swapping out someone who has potential for the realized potential, mm-hmm. someone who's already done it, already proven they can do it, already stuck in the league long enough, already shows you that they walk on the floor, they know exactly what their job is, and they can do it. 
You think they win tonight? Yeah. I, I think that they showed us that. Do you think that, that that's that was actually my next? Do you think that, that what they did against Orlando carries over? And I'm not talking about the 23 threes. Like, that's a bit far-fetched. But that that kind of groove that they were in where you could argue. Yeah, I mean, or, or, or Orlando's not a great team, but they're far from what the Houston Rockets are, right? Like, mm-hmm. being able to rally up in that moment where you need to win, do you think that can carry over? Yeah, I think it can carry over, and I also think this team has proven that against the teams that are young and inexperienced, they can dominate them. It, it, their offense, their scheme, their defensive schemes, they're strong enough that against the bad teams, not not the veteran teams that are playing bad, but the bad teams, that their system will destroy like a, a team that's not up to snuff, that doesn't have mature players who can yeah. step in and actually do some damage. I like I like Houston's talent. Like We talked about that a lot. I like their talent, but it just – the Kings should be too much for them, like you just talked about. Like if they're taking care yeah. of business, if they're running their stuff efficiently, taking good shots defensively, you don't have to do anything spectacular. Keep the guy in front of you, you know, do stuff like that. They're doing that. They should just be too much for Houston tonight. Yeah, I mean, just about everybody in the league is too much for Houston right now. So I mean, it's a team that's learning. Like if you took, if you put Keegan Murray on that team, he's playing thirty-two minutes a night. He's averaging four or five more points per game. He's averaging a couple more rebounds. He's just given so much longer of a leash to make mistakes, to do things that are out of the norm, to just go in and get statistics. Where on Sacramento Kings, he's just not being allowed to do that. And that's what their whole entire team is nothing but Keegan Murray type guys. Real quick, Houston has beaten Utah, Orlando, Dallas, Atlanta, OKC, Phoenix, Philly, Milwaukee, and Phoenix. Boy, that's wild. Yeah, that's almost all of those are on their home floor. Four yeah. wins on the road. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, we appreciate you so much for being with us. Make sure you head over to thekingsbeat.com. Become a subscriber uh, over there to the newsletter. Become a premium subscriber over at thekingsbeat.com. Lots of great benefits over there. You can check out the Kings Beat uh, YouTube channel as well. I know they dropped the podcast last night, mm-hmm. and make sure you back with us tomorrow at noon on Sacramento Sports Leader. Steal on KC, James Ham on ESPN 1320. Go Kings!